0: You are listening to an ODI live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Koshamadeed. My name is Lise Doucette from the BBC, and like all of you here today, I think I can say, I have been thinking about, worrying about, caring about, visiting, living in Afghanistan for a very long time. As we all say, nobody goes to Afghanistan once. And what brings us here today? Afghanistan 2020, not a World Cup, not a trade fair, but Afghanistan 2020, the future of a country which, nearly 16 years after massive international engagement and a new coming together of Afghans, still has not achieved the political stability, the prosperity that all Afghans had hoped for. You remember at that time in 2001, it was regarded as the best chance in a generation. We come here together to discuss a new report by the United States Institute of Peace, political stability in Afghanistan, a 2020 vision and roadmap. And it's a very, very good report. To discuss all of this, we have the report, we have a fantastic panel, we have all of you, and we have those who are joining us online. And thank you to those of of you joining us online. We have a hashtag if you are of the tweeting variety Af- hashtag Afghanistan 2020. And if we are lucky, someone who's known to take to Twitter may get on to, to the tweets and the Commander-in-Chief will tell us how many troops he plans <laughs> to send to Afghanistan. But he may be busy today, but that's okay. To our panel, I'm the person who came the farthest today to join us, Fauzi Kofi, on the line look, with her elegant Afghan scarf joining us, Fauzi Kofi, Koshamadi, thank you very much for making time for us. You've got the map of Afghanistan above your head. All of you may know or have met Pausia Kofi, a member of parliament. She's also the head of the Women's Affairs, Human Rights, and Civil Society Commission of Afghanistan. We're also very privileged to have, and welcome to London, Ambassador Hab Jawad, who was the ambassador to the United States for Afghanistan. He also served as the Chief of Staff for President Ahmed Karzai and is now the new ambassador to London. Welcome, thank you for joining us today. Francesca Vendrell, envoy extraordinaire, former special representative of the EU in Afghanistan, personal representative of the Secretary General, and the head of the UN Special Mission for Afghanistan in those heady months during the assault uh, against the Taliban in Afghanistan, which of course led to the fall of the Taliban at the end of 2001. Scott Warden joins us from the United States. He's the head of the Afghanistan and Central Asian Programs at USIP. More than a decade experience in Afghanistan, working for the absolutely impressive SIGAR, which is the, account the, uh, the, um, the accountability mechanism in the United States government for the Attorney General. He also served as the election complaints commissioner in 2009. <laughs> Please, spare a thought, first of all. <laughs> he's still recovering from being the election complaints commissioner. Alex Steer, who I met, as one does, at a buskashi in Af- northern Afghanistan many, many years ago, and he's rose through the ranks of USID with the speed of a buskashi horse. <laughs> and he comes to us from USAID to be the executive director of the ODI. Ladies and gentlemen, how to tell the story of Afghanistan in a few seconds or more. Once upon a time, not so long ago, well it was 2001, you will remember the mantra, we are with you for the long run. World leaders stood shoulder to shoulder with Afghans and said we are here to make it better. What a roller coaster it was. Two lawyer jurgas in the early years, including a constitutional lawyer, jurga, Presidential elections, parliamentary elections, moments of crisis, moments of celebration. A surge where international troops went up to more than 130,000, and then a withdrawal. A Taliban retreat, which became the rise of the Taliban. Until 2014, another historic moment, the first transfer of power between two heads of states. Hamid Karzai left office. Then came in not one but two leaders in Afghanistan, the National Unity Government. And this is where we're going to be situating a lot of our discussions today. From 2014, the National Unity Government looking forward to the 2019 presidential elections. Something is not working in Afghanistan. Everybody here knows that. The basic premise of this report today is that A new approach is is needed. If Afghanistan is ever to have a chance of achieving that political stability and prosperity, a restructuring of the political institutions which will help, they hope, to change the political landscape. We're gonna start with Scott and with Alex and have some comments from our experts, both in Kabul and here. We want your contributions too. We have some real experts. So let's begin, Scott, this report. Special Report, Political Stability in Afghanistan. What for you are some of the main takeaway points that you want us to focus on when you look to a new political approach to move Afghanistan from where it is now to something better?
2: Right. Thank you. Thanks for the introduction. and Thanks for all of you for being here. Um, I, I want to elaborate a little bit on the points that you raised on the current situation, which is by way of diagnosis, uh, and then go into what our report has in terms of prescription <coughs> for a new approach. Uh, The first point, which you've already signaled, is that things are not going well in Afghanistan. There's been a slow uh, but steady deterioration of security conditions over the last several years, particularly since the transition – the end of the NATO combat mission in 2014 through to now. Um, But there's also been a deterioration, I think, in the political uh, conditions of the country, which is something that we focus on in this report. Um, you also have, as you mentioned, the U.S. policy review process, which will be a regional policy review, but the key points in that are about Afghanistan and what to do. Um, you know, speculating on what the Trump administration will come out with in terms of policy is, is not a high percentage game, and I won't, <laughs> I won't do that here, but, but I think that it does present an opportunity Uh, And I think it will be a constructive, my prediction is that it will be a constructive opportunity because I think that the U.S. will continue to remain engaged uh, significantly in Afghanistan uh, as well as U.K., European allies, and and others. So our report is really in the context of continued international engagement uh, and how can international assistance work with um, Afghan leadership and also Afghan political dynamics and forces to create a more – a uh, favorable environment for a resolution of the conflict. And you know, by resolution of the conflict, it, it means reconciliation with the Taliban, but it also – one of the points we stress in the report is it means reconciliation with other political factions in the country that have been at war or otherwise at odds with each other for the last 40 years. And I think we see this conflict uh, as a continuation of underlying political dynamics that have to do with ethnicity, they have to do with regionalism within Afghanistan uh, and how to share and balance power among Afghan factions, uh, in a way that is sustainable and agreeable. So that's really the problem that we're looking at. Um, I think that the debate so far has focused, at least in the U.S. side, and again, it's the U.S. policy that I think people are looking at as the next kind of big moment or announcement. There's been a lot of focus on troops and troop numbers. Um, And I think it is very likely that, uh, U.S. forces will increase. Um, by a few thousand. Um, And that certainly would be helpful given the deterioration of the security environment. But the point is that that is not going to fundamentally transform the conflict. It is not going to defeat the Taliban when 100,000 U.S. troops didn't before. Um, It will buy time. It will buy space. And it will shore up, uh, hopefully, the Afghan government's position so that they can do something. Uh, And then the question is, do what? Do what with that time and that opportunity? And that's where we propose four areas that should be focused on between now, the 2019 elections, and really on to uh, assuming a, a new government with an electoral mandate in 2019, on to 2020, the title of the report. Um, what are structural, political things that can be done to alter the dynamics of the conflict so that there can be a negotiated settlement? I'll mention the four. I'll talk about one, and I'll turn over to Alex uh, to elaborate. Um, those are, first and foremost, the elections that are coming up. There are two sets of elections. Parliamentary and district council elections have been called for July of 2018. Then there's the constitutionally mandated election in 2019 for president. Um, this is uh, it, you know, an opportunity to build political consensus, but also if fast elections are precedent, uh, it's an opportunity for destabilization. So I'll talk a little bit uh, briefly about what can be done. The other areas are looking at the relationship of power between the center and the periphery, so between the central government, the provincial and local governments. Decentralization, so that there's more local autonomy and decision making. Uh, the third area is, is constitutional reform to look at the fundamental institutions of government. How do they function and what's the right balance of power? Um, let me just conclude by saying a few things about the upcoming elections. As I said, you know, from 2009 um, and then again in 2014, uh, on the one hand, elections are bought into by the Afghan people as a necessary, the best possible alternative of the alternatives uh, to choose leadership. but they've been hugely destabilizing because there's been a lot of fraud and there's been highly controversial results. So in some ways it has created political fragmentation when really elections are supposed to develop political consensus. Um, I would say that looking ahead you know to the interim elections for parliament that are, that are scheduled in 2018, the key here, is really to make sure that reforms are in place so that the conditions are right for a successful election or don't have them. Um, Or wait and get the reforms right for 2019 because presidential elections are far more important and they really will set the tone for whether the next government has a mandate to uh, follow through on big political reforms that we're talking about uh, as well as to potentially negotiate with the Taliban. So getting elections right by focusing on voter registration, on some other technical details I'm happy to elaborate on but won't now. Um, But getting the the process right is really much more important than the timing between now and 2019. 2019 elections need to happen uh, and should happen, but making sure that the process is positive to support them is really important. Uh, The second big point on elections is these are fundamentally political processes. Uh, And while there has a lot of attention and importance on technical reforms, at the end of the day, it's Afghan political leaders, whether they're political party leaders or the power brokers behind them, that need to come up with uh, a common uh, understanding of how power will be shared, of what the rights of the losers will be. Uh, This, in many ways, was the origin of the national unity government, was a dispute over how is the minority, uh, the loser, going to be respected uh, and apportioned seats in government. That's a political process that the international community can't dictate, shouldn't dictate, um, but I think can facilitate a conversation, a difficult one, among Afghan parties. And so thinking of ways diplomatically to have that conversation in the lead-up to the elections rather than have it happen under pressure after the elections is a key goal.
1: Do you think there's enough time to get the election, the conditions right? We're talking about a country which hasn't had a census, a country which doesn't have an electoral role, a country where large areas are not accessible for security, logistical reasons, that that can be in place by 2018 for the district and parliamentary. It's a question of whether it's better to have a bad election or no election. What's worse?
2: Timing is very tight. It's theoretically possible, but in in the next two months, we will know whether voter registration uh, which needs to be completely redone across the country. If that's rolling out and rolling out smoothly, then we can say there's time. Um, but if not, I think the answer for the first time in a while is it's better to have no elections than bad elections because really 2019 is the most important one and there is time to get it right for then if you don't have an election in between.
1: Alex. So looking, what if you were at some of the main challenges and obstacles and in that you've looked at this quite intensively about the roadmap ahead?
3: Well, I want to just reiterate your thanks and welcome to everybody. It's so great to see uh, not only the fantastic panelists that we have, but some really special people here. And I just want to acknowledge two people really quickly uh, who have been fundamentally profoundly important people for me and for Afghanistan, Martin Barber, who's here, who was one of my first uh, ever bosses, hired me into the UN, which he paid for, I'm sure, uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and Jolly and Leslie, uh, who's been a friend and a mentor for, for many years. And uh, both of you uh, are, have had uh, a lot more to say, probably, than I should, but I really appreciate you being here. Um, and uh, what Lise didn't mention is that this was uh, 1994, and the, our guest, uh, or our host, rather, uh, was Rashid Dostum. <laughs> Um, general, uh, general, 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 Dostum, uh, vice president, first vice <laughs> president, Dostum, um, and I and I say that uh, in part because it's funny, but in part because uh, um, you know there's some. It's good to remember uh, that these things are are long processes. <laughs> uh, um, you know, it's hard to say something new uh, after 16 years or 24 years or 40 years. Um, But as we were working on this report, and I'm grateful for Scott's partnership and USIP, I I think that part of the point that we were trying to arrive at here is not that the tools radically change or somebody, uh, unlike someone like Francesc or others who've spent their lives thinking about how to make peace are going to suddenly come up with some new idea or there's going to be an app for that. It's that conditions change. Um, and, and when conditions change, it's always important to go back to what we know do, does work. Um, so I want to make three uh, quick points. Uh, the first one is that all wars end. Um, most end with a negotiated settlement. There's the rare one that ends with military victory. I don't think anybody conceives that to be possible for Afghanistan. And so whether it's 2020 or 2030 or 2120, um, the Afghan war will end. And so thinking backward from that about how to accelerate progress to getting us to a point where there is a sustainable resolution of the Afghan conflict is something that always bears reconsideration, um, even though uh, some of the circumstances that Scott outlined are grim and problematic and more so than many of us expected them to be a decade plus ago. Um, I think that the sort of the, the the fundamental problem is one that we're still grappling with uh, since 2001. Is that a lasting, inclusive, and legitimate political settlement didn't happen in 2001, um, and that still does need to happen. And again, it's it is fundamentally important, as Scott said, that that is about reconciliation. But it's really about much more than that, because it's actually about all the parties who have been and continue to come to the table in various forms every day. Um, apart from the Taliban. Um, That leads me to the second point, which is that in order for the Afghan conflict to be sustainably addressed, there is additional power sharing that is necessary. Um, And if we didn't already know that and understand that, the experience of the last couple of years with the national unity government has just put such a fine point on two different things that really are fundamentally important which is that, one, um, elections that end up with a sort of winner-take-all out outcome in what is a fundamentally deeply divided society are not likely to produce the outcome that we all want. Um, And so we need to find a way, the Afghans need to find a way, to manage the fact that you do need elections, you do need central government to be able to do the types of things that people want to do, but centralized control in a fundamentally divided society is not going to be the way to do that. And all of these divisions get played upon by the foreign machinations that go on that keep Afghanistan's conflicts uh, alive. Um, And that power sharing, I believe, is not still fundamentally addressed within the current political and constitutional system, both for the reasons that Scott already outlined in terms of the elections, uh, but what happened with the formation of the national unity government was a rift that we've all seen and, and knew that was coming, which is that when you have elections that are fundamentally between power groups and you have one side or another that's going to win and as a result of that some major parties that are effectively going to feel left out of power there's two things that happen either accommodation or conflict Um, and what happened in 2014 was a very rapid attempt at a extra constitutional ad hoc accommodation which has fundamentally failed Um, and so we can either continue Uh, along the path that is going to lead to failed accommodation or we need to think about some of the mechanisms and structures both at the national and subnational level that can allow for greater accommodation and therefore power sharing, therefore a sense of broader inclusion in society, in the economy, in the political process that can ultimately lead to the outcome we seek. So my third point is that I do believe that a better distribution of power in Afghanistan is possible and that I would say that there is no right answer. Um, A lot of divided societies confront these challenges and it's important to remember that somebody doesn't pop up and say well that's because you need to divide it this way or have a trilateral presidency or consociationalism or whatever the the flavor of the person advocating is. I don't believe that there's a right answer. The right answer uh, for Afghanistan is that there's clearly a better answer than the one that's out there right now and that's what really needs work. And so part of our starting point for this paper is to take the national unity government agreement seriously. And that agreement called for a couple of things that essentially haven't happened. It called for thinking about how to formalize the power-sharing structure um, at the national level, Uh, because a lot of that uncertainty about how power divided is where there's constant friction today. Uh, But it also called for following through on some of the the things that the Constitution calls for. Um, Possibly a lawyer jurger to look at the Constitution, but even if you don't open up the Constitution, there are things that can be done within the Constitution that call for not only horizontal power sharing, which is what happens at the national level, but also vertical power sharing. Thinking about the ways in which provincial governors are selected, the roles of provincial councils. What is the role for municipalities in a rapidly urbanizing society like Afghanistan? Should local governors, should local uh, mayors be elected? Should they be chosen at least with the consensus of people at the local level? How do we deal with the pernicious problem of things like district elections, which have been called for since the Constitution was signed in 2004, but have been too hard to pull off and may remain uh, too hard to pull off uh, next year as well? And the final point that I want to end with is on reconciliation, because... A lot of people say, well, look, if reconciliation is coming, you don't want to try to deal with all of this stuff now because the Taliban are then going to come and you're going to have to open up a uh, a whole new set of negotiations. But I actually think that that's the wrong approach because I believe that the only way you are going to have an environment in which there can be successful negotiations, in which there can be successful models for power sharing with the Taliban and others that come in out of the cold, you need to have that model existing today. You need to have the avenues open. People need to understand how it is that you can actually share power successfully and open the framework not only so it's not just about the presidential elections, but power sharing across the country. And I think that by setting that table, by setting that environment now, it'll actually make an outcome of longer term uh, facilitated negotiations with uh... insurgents uh... more likely in the long run
1: very uh... comprehensive agenda which comes down to the fundamental point of power sharing both at the center but also in the provinces and then right down to the district and to to the city level but it's a bit of a catch-22 isn't it because it's often said that the taliban gains strength and it, it strengthens their narrative to see a power sharing agreement which is not working and they just think it's going to be a matter of time but to fundamentally change it you do have to open up the Constitution Now you have a CEO with along with the president if you want to have a prime minister to fundamentally change the structure you do have to open up the Constitution and the idea is well don't do it now because the Taliban will come to the table and they will ask for the Constitution to be changed. so what comes what comes comes first do you, do you, but do you believe that the seeds of a solution are in the current national unity government that it has to be Afghanistan needs a different power sharing at the center and to change what your report calls the most centralized government in the world.
3: Yeah, I think that the National Unity Government Agreement fundamentally recognizes the fact that there's a problem, right? That's why we have the National Unity Government. The National Unity Government Agreement called for changes, including possibly a lawyer, including the formalization of some kind of position. And I think that those are options to be pursued. It's not clear what the right outcome is. That's the the Afghans have to decide. But it's clear that the current arrangement isn't working. And the reason why I think the national unity government hasn't been successful is because they set up a mechanism for supposed power sharing, but all of that power sharing was unclear. And so they've spent the intervening several years fighting over every aspect of power sharing instead of getting on with the process of governing and consolidating authority and, and lifting up the the economy of the country, all the things that are going to be necessary for Afghanistan to move forward.
1: Most of all, appointments and, yeah, yeah. a lot of disputes. <laughs> Let's bring in someone who's right at the heart of power, Fauzi Kofi. We're discussing here about a power structure which doesn't seem to be working. What is your view from someone who has to work within that structure in the parliament? Do you think that, what is your, do you have some thoughts about how Afghanistan should move forward in looking again at this issue of how do you share power? particularly in Kabul, but then with the provinces as well.
0: Thank you, Liz. Um, it's wonderful to see a uh, great friend uh, yourself, uh, um, Alex, and of course our ambassador, Ambassador Jawad, and an old friend of Afghanistan, uh, Ambassador Banvel, uh, which I was happily surprised to, um, to see him today. Uh, thank you, Alex, for bringing everybody together. Um, uh, 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 To your question, uh, Liz, in 2014, when uh, just post the second round of the uh, presidential election, Afghanistan was almost at the peak of falling into another conflict. Um, And therefore, uh, the leaders in both camps came together to work on a a political settlement, and as a result of that, uh, the national unity government was established. The core for, uh, during the negotiation to establish the national unity government was the power sharing and decentralization of power, um, vertically also to reach out, as Alex mentioned, uh, the enriched, um, growing population of Afghanistan out in the districts and provinces. Um, Initially a few months, uh, it went, uh, things were um, on the right direction. Um, Although it took a lot uh, longer time to establish a cabinet, which was the nature of a unity government, where the two main sources of power come together. Uh, But over time, eventually, um, Afghanistan national unity government lost that main uh, core point of its establishment, which is the Um, power-sharing. And the president uh, apparently now holds uh, the whole power, and there is very little sign of power-sharing. Um, uh, uh based on the national unity government, uh, both leaders were supposed to have elections in two years' time to make uh, the, prime, the chief executive officer position as an elected um, executive prime minister, uh, which could be legally, you know, argued and according to the constitution. Now there are arguments that if you open up the constitution, uh, other unnecessary uh, amendments might be proposed to the amendments of the constitution, which I think to some extent Is invalid argument because in the national unity government uh, political proposal, it's very clearly mentioned that the constitution is going to be amended only to create a position of uh, uh, executive uh, prime uh, minister position. So I think any other discussion uh, during the constitutional amendment uh, would be out of the political context of uh, what uh, the you know the two sides agreed. So now the main challenge for Afghan government and politician is lack of power sharing and lack of clear vision on how are we going to shape a future of afghanistan politics because you know everything else including security including uh, rule of law including human rights depend on the power sharing situation it's true that afghanistan planned uh, parliamentary election for 2018 july and um, hopefully um, followed by presidential election in 2019 but you know uh, uh reform of the election electoral process was the main main commitment I was supposed to be um you know uh implemented as soon as the two leaders come to power but three years after the um uh, the election commission I don't want to uh you know present a negative um, situation uh electoral reforms is not only about individuals I mean scott has been working with uh, um, uh, the ECC the election complaint commission in Afghanistan, and I think he needs a still after his involvement in Afghanistan uh, ECC for one year, but uh, it's not only about uh, in, uh, personnel, it's not about individuals. Individuals um, who have been appointed in the um, uh, IEC, the uh, Interna- um, Independent Election Commission, there are a lot of questions about their neutrality, and there is a lot of question in the public about, you know, whether we are going to have an elected parliament given the security situation given the fact that there is no um, there has not been enough reforms in the process of uh, electoral reforms or we will uh, we will have a selected uh, uh, parliament i think in the worst case scenario people would like to see uh, you know a better parliament an elected parliament rather than just a selected parliament so that's the main thing for our friends to work Uh, uh, who are uh, supporting Afghanistan's future democracy, to ensure that we have an election that is for the purpose and for the sake of election, not selection. This is the first thing. The second thing is about um, uh, 2019, I think the main involvement of our leaders, uh, mainly the president right now, is preparing himself uh, on the ground for 2019 uh, presidential election. And that results lack of delivery in the institutions of the government, um, including the parliament, but also mainly executive institutions. And he also proposed the reform agenda, which to some extent the reforms have been welcome and appreciated, especially his um, uh, priority about uh, um, fighting corruption. But uh, the the general uh, uh, perception in Afghanistan is that the president under the name of uh, reform is just pursuing his own um, it's, uh, very much centralized uh, policies over the whole Afghanistan. And that's why you see resistance. There have been protests. There have been people who resist and talk against it, which I think the consequences and the backlash will not be very healthy for the very new democracy of Afghanistan. So therefore, I think, yes, people want reform, but reforms with the demand of people. You know, sometimes um, our international friends also try to, Uh, try to uh, show the situation in Afghanistan or demonstrate that everything to some extent is fine, which I also think that things are much better comparing to Taliban. But why should we always compare the situation to Taliban regime? I mean, we had good times in Afghanistan um, before Taliban. Comparing to Taliban, yes, things are okay. We are, uh, you know, enjoying somehow a freedom of speech, the fact that you see me connected online today. Uh, joining your conference live uh, indicates that Afghanistan has progress, but that is not enough. We shouldn't stick to the progress and achievement that we have achieved 2004, 2005. We have to have new achievements, and that new achievements really need uh, solidarity and, uh, you know, uh, sharing, fair and justice sharing of power. I think at this stage what is lacking is the fair share of power among different politicians, and there is a fear that eventually if this is not addressed, Um, Afghanistan might fall into another, uh, you know, security deterioration and another um, uh, crisis that uh, it would be so difficult for us to manage. And as a woman, I I, I feel more because, you know, recently I just was in one of the provinces, Leeds that you know, a a whole province in West, where, um, you know, it's a province that suffers uh, from uh, human rights, especially women's rights violation, and the lack of rule of law is very visible there. I went there and when I was talking to the public about Uh, you know, why there is human rights and women's rights violation. The answer I got from people was, you know, Ms. Kofi, there is the situation, I mean, everybody, not only women, everybody in this country is suffering, so why should you finger point to women? I mean, everybody is not in a very healthy situation, and the situation doesn't look, uh, in terms of the future uh, vision of the leaders, it doesn't look very bright. So I think for the bright future of Afghanistan, um, our president, along with our partners, international partners who I know uh, love both our our leaders. I know that, uh, you know, they are very accessible to our international partners. And when any embassy locks uh, the door of these um, leaders, they're very easy to, 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 to meet them. And that's why they are loved by international community. But at the end of the day, democracy is not double standard. It's not about people in the United States and in the UK and it's about leader in Afghanistan. That's a double standard of democracy. If we really want um, you know, democracy to survive uh, longer in Afghanistan, we have to listen to people, and our leaders should listen to people.
1: Kofi thank you so much for that uh, for that with that you know eloquent description of some of what are the key problems um, in your country today and reminding us that you know that was supposed to be from day one a discussion of electoral reform that was part of the the national unity agreement and you were right to say Afghanistan was on the precipice and res- that agreement did rescue Afghanistan but never dealt with the issues and also mentioning too about the concern about the centralization of power I would urge all of you to read the New York Times article that Fauzia was involved with after her trip to Gore. It's entitled No Value, No Justice. And I don't want to give you another reason to feel angry about the absence of justice in Afghanistan, but it's absolutely dreadful reading about not just the violence against women in one province, Gore, but also the impunity in which it is carried out. So well done, Fauzia, for highlighting that. We're going to come back to you, Fauzia, because we want to pick up on some of your very, very key points. But I wanted to bring in Francesca, who, of course, was very much in one of the seats of power during those crucial years where difficult decisions had to be made about the Constitution, about the sharing of power, about how to run elections in Afghanistan. If you could just give us now, with the benefit of hindsight, well, you know, perhaps a few of the lessons learned that Afghanistan can build on to try to, you know, to move toward a more stable political future, and some of the power sharing that everyone is mentioning is so crucial to both stability and prosperity. Well,
4: um, it's good to hear, by the way, and I very much enjoyed uh, the report um, of USIP. Um, I was not in the seat of power. What maybe of maybe system? that was the, the, that was the mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I... I call for lots of things that should have happened both earlier and faster, and they didn't happen. Uh, one of them, of course, was to prevent the, uh, the leaders of the, of the Northern Alliance from being taken over, control of Afghanistan uh, before the dispatch of an international uh, force like the one that ISAF was eventually uh, dispatched. Um, the second thing, uh, the, uh, another mistake, and this will, uh, is, going, is still impacting the various issues that I wanted briefly to touch on, what has been the lack of a DDR process and, and the fact that Dayak, the disbandment of illegal armed groups, never really happened. And, and therefore, when we are looking at... And, and the third thing is the way the constitution was drafted. Uh, let's face it, it was not drafted by a constituent assembly. It was drafted by a group appointed by the president under a lot of influence of jihadists. Uh, it was not a very good, it is not a very good constitution. Uh, I certainly think that revision uh, is called for. But before we think of all that, let's remember the problem of not having the government lacking the monopoly on the means of violence. And this means that whatever changes you want to do to the Constitution, you are faced with problems. Take, for example, the idea of governors, elected governors. Yes, that, in theory, is a very good idea, a very good point. But will not the, the warlord in the province manage to win the election? Uh, second, you take, we talked about a prime ministerial system. My idea of a prime ministerial system is, I'm afraid, not the one that um, people in the northern, in the north of Afghanistan uh, demand. I believe that the prime minister should have executive power, and that uh, responsible to parliament, and that the president would be a a kind of figurehead who would uh, appoint the prime minister, but who basically would have power similar to the ones that the president of Germany, the president of Italy, and other uh, constitutional presidents have. If, you have uh, if you're going to have a prime ministerial system in the way and meaning that the president and the prime minister will share power, you're going to have the same problems you're facing today, and that uh, were faced in uh, 1992-93 between Hadmatyar and Robani. So I think this is something that, uh, in my view, ought to be avoided. Finally, the elections. Well, I would very much hope that for, for finally, presidential and parliamentary elections can be held at the same time. It was a mistake, we, I won't go into it, but uh, elections should be held at the same time. There is time to hold them in 2019, but I have to go back to the issues that I raised in 2009 at the time of the, parliament, of the presidential elections. And this was the lack of security in particular in Pashtun areas, which may, means that it is very difficult to monitor elections in that part of the world, and, and in a way, you are you really, you're really left with two choices. One is not to hold elections in insecure in insecure areas, which harms the Pashtuns, which means disfra- disfranchising a lot of Pashtuns, or holding elections everywhere has been done in the past, but then you're going to open the door to accusations of ballot stuffing and of fraud. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Uh, you know, Among the many good points you raise, there is that question about uh, the decentralization of power that if it's going to be captured by the very warlords who are acting with impunity, and your report makes the point that well, you may have to do that to, to allow Afghanistan to have the experience of rotating power, let them come into power, let them make mistakes, and hopefully if the, the situation, uh, the new electoral the situation is strong enough, then that person will be booted out and somewhat, it will encourage the development of new leadership. I mean, that's the optimistic yes. assessment. But
4: I, I think there was a very good point made in the report about the possible election of mayors. Mm-hmm. And I think it could be done. In a, in a, a, it could be done progressively, as has happened in the UK. You first start we first started with the mayor of London. Why not start with a mayor of Kabul, where I think the conditions are, uh, are, are easier for holding elections, and there might be, let's say, Imazari Sharif or Herat.
1: Actually, it's quite interesting that and a reminder that Afghanistan's problems are not just Afghanistan. You, you, the mayor of London. The same problem would be with the mayor of Kabul. You become the mayor of London, and you think, "Oh my goodness, here's a prime minister in waiting." So then you have uh, the mayor of Kabul, and the politicians worry that this person has so much influence, can get so many votes that he's one step away from the ARG, and he's going to be the next president of Afghanistan. I mean, every there's there's no ideal ideal solutions. But thank you, you um, Jawad. Yes, I want to just pick up. There was Falsikov's a, 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 a very last comment touched on one what has been one of the searing conclusions, uh, both simple and searing at the same time, about the main failure of the international engagement in Afghanistan, which is that the outside world did not listen to Afghans enough. And your report makes it clear that this process that you talk about must be led by Afghans. It is not for the international community to be in any of the driving seats. But, of course, Afghanistan is still a country which needs support. And I wonder if we could bring you in, Ambassador Juwan, when you look at some of the, the challenges facing Afghanistan now. How would you like to see the international community? What kind of support um, you would need? And as was discussed at the beginning, it's not just a question of troops.
5: Uh, thank you very much, uh- uh, it's great being at this panel with many very good, long-standing friends of Afghanistan. Uh, again, and I'm very much grateful uh, both the ODI and UCIP to keep focus on Afghanistan, and that's greatly appreciated. And, of course, Les everybody know her for her international work, but she's been going to Afghanistan for 30 years. So she was in uh, grammar school, but she's still <laughs> going to Afghanistan. <laughs> so, uh, Kindergarten. <laughs> Kindergarten, yeah. So, so that's... Uh, But, um, and uh, you have um, started your discussion by saying that uh, something doesn't work in Afghanistan. Yes, but many things works in Afghanistan. So we should not overreact. And we should keep in mind that despite the shortfall of the current setup in government, the uh, Afghan government is on track. We have just actually yesterday, the GSMP indicated that the growth rate in Afghanistan was 3%. Everybody expected a negative growth. We have experienced a 3% growth rate. Our security forces have maintained the security in Afghanistan despite the fact that 150,000 international troops withdrew from Afghanistan with all their capabilities. So as far as the elections are concerned, neither President Ghani nor Dr. Blair is indicating that there will be no elections. In fact, they are, according to them, according to their instructions that they give to the government, in the schedule set in Afghanistan. They are on track for, for, uh, for 2018 and 2019. So the, the main point is that we, we should consider Afghanistan is a comprehensive country. There are challenges. There are, there are difficulties in Afghanistan. But we should not make recommendations based on certain challenges for the future of Afghanistan. Uh, Francis and I were part of the group that actually did work on the Constitution back in Afghanistan in 2002 and 2003. Yes, we did impose actually an overly centralized system in Afghanistan. The reason was, but many Afghans were thinking that a decentralized system in Afghanistan meant a, a, a dissolution of the government. So there was a demand by the Afghan. It was not just actually a recommendation by the international community. The Afghan wanted to have a more a stronger centralized system because they experienced the the, the the civil war and the disintegration of the state <coughs> institution. So now that we we encounter some challenges in governance and other, we should not actually prescribe a new solution. Let's go to decentralized system. If we don't have resources in Afghanistan, if we don't have a human capital to govern properly and to deliver services, it doesn't matter if you deliver it from Kabul or Balkh, the people are not going to benefit. Let's work on building the capacity and the resources of the government to deliver services, regardless under which framework. Yes, uh, the, the elections in a presidential election, parliamentary election all have their own challenges. We should not be overly actually fixated that we should have actually a provincial uh, or, or, or district elections. We have spent, you and I, the international community in Afghanistan, spent in each parliamentary election $300 million. What, but we did not spend $3 million on vetting systems to make sure that people who really represent Afghans in Afghanistan will get into this parliament. So, so therefore, uh, I, I just want to uh, make it clear that uh, th- th- this government, despite the challenges, made some really tough decision on reconciliation. A country that it is, it is going through almost 30 years of war, we made a tough decision on reconciliation with, with Hikmatyar, painful decision, difficult decision, and Afghans did it themselves. There was no involvement mm-hmm. of the international community, and it had a result. So let's give some credit for the work that the Afghans and the international community are doing in Afghanistan, and again, and here, and especially being here in the UK, new in here. The, the assistance that the UK has provided in Afghanistan has changed the life of many people. I'm so proud that to see Fauzia Kufi speaking from Afghanistan, a capable leader like her. And also the connectivity that she can speak from our remote provinces of Afghanistan to us in here. Not only the connectivity, she speaks the same language that, that we all do. Hmm. And she sees the problems the way every one of us do. So Afghanistan has changed drastically. And and the notion that it's a kind of isolated country with a lot of tribes, it's a colonial view of Afghanistan, and it's wrong. Let's be clear about that. Afghanistan is tribal. Why? Because there's diversity. Well, London is 100 times more tribal because mm-hmm. there's more diversity in London. Mm-hmm. More languages, more. So the diversity of Afghanistan is a source of pride for us. It should not be seen as a handicap for the Afghans. Their, their lack of institution, their lack of capability to deliver services, but we, but, but the, or, or the geographic location, it, it's regarded as a kind of a, a places in between. Like one of my friends says, no, it is a connecting place. It's a place that actually connected many civilizations in that region. So uh, just to, to be short on that, uh, I, I just want to say we are very grateful for, for the focus that Afghanistan still gets from our friend greatly appreciate that, and particularly the recommendation by the reports that the next solution should be in consultation with the Afghans. But yet, at the same time, neither us Afghans nor our international friends hurry up, actually, to to impose or suggest a solution, because we could be making the mistake that we did for an over-centralized system in Afghanistan. We have to give a a little bit more time and also a little bit more. content to the existing institution, instead of thinking, well, we tried that. It didn't work. Let's try something else. Give it a little bit more time. Give it a little bit more chance. Give it a, give, allow the Afghans to build the necessary human capital to make the existing institutions more functional. And, and especially this is the context of centralized or decentralized system. Uh, that's all. I don't want to go into too much of a detail. But again, a great degree of, of appreciation for keeping the focus on, on Afghanistan and also not forgetting that. The country has changed drastically. Mm. There is a voice for Afghanistan. It's coming from from Badakhshan provinces, or, or, or from here, and, and, and that is uh, these voices will should actually be a, a determined factor for the future of Afghanistan.
1: Yes. Thank you. Yes, that's. Um... Yes, it does bear highlight. The past is a different country. That there's no the Afghanistan of 2001 is not. The Afghanistan of today, both the witness Faizia Kofi and all the other uh, women parliamentarians, civil, civil society, the fact that it has a constitution, it has had uh, elections, that a generation has been educated, that Afghans are not just fighting in the security forces, but so many young Afghans are choosing to stay in Afghanistan to fight for a better Afghanistan is truly, truly um, inspiring at, at times, verging on heroic. Some of the efforts of, of Afghans, and we salute, we salute all of the efforts. Um, of Afghans and that they will continue to make them. I want to bring in some some of all of you because you will be listening with great interest, but also with 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 your with, with the, the insights that you have from working in Afghanistan. Would anyone like to add a point or two into our discussion of the the way forward? And please identify yourself, please. And I think we have microphones. Yes. Thank
6: you very much. I'm honoured to be here and uh, see you all and uh, and especially Ambassador.
1: And um, good name? Here.
6: Um, my name is Weiss. I, have a, I run a consultancy company in, uh, in Afghanistan. Okay. And um, I have uh, served in a number of assignments for the development of the capacity, uh, working with a uh, number of uh, government uh, organizations. Um, through... Um, uh, consultancy company here in the uk but also serving un as well and so and uh now there's i I quite like the you know what the ambassador has been discussing and what said and i follow i completely agree with you i have been working for past 12 13 years there and i understand that how much effort has been put in behind the show we know that Afghanistan started from scratch. So it takes a, uh, a development comp- country to steps towards the development. It takes a while, and especially with the challenges that Afghanistan is facing now. But one of the important things, which I, I, I looked at the report and, and the, during the discussion, the political um, <coughs> structure, the infrastructure, that's, um, it's very complex in Afghanistan. But whether are we looking at the working tools, uh, the building, the, 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 the infrastructure behind through a strategy or through a policy, that whether with the outcome of the government to be revolved between one or two, three parties maybe,
1: you
6: mean parties, as in Part, political parties. Sure. So, so it's just I know that it has to go. To, it has to go through a lot of phases, uh, in order to government to get, to get there. But the strategy towards working. Oh, okay. It it has to be done through both sides because right now we're having a lot of problems with you know with, with, with people that who has uh, who has been uh, previously warlords and now they have their own parties and working towards it. But now. It's how to uh, consolidate this into a, a, a stream a stream of two or three areas. So one, I think it's a lot of work needs to be done with the government itself. Mm. But on the other hand, a lot of work needs to be done with the people itself because yes. people need to get educated. Political culture, yes. Political culture. Yes. That's the most important part mm. of it. And whether any... Areas or any, any anything has been. Uh, are anyone looking to look at this both streams?
1: Mm, you're absolutely right. Yeah, the society. I can okay. tell right. you, Liz. Okay, let's uh, let's let's bring in. That's a very good point. Let's bring some other. Let's bring in some other points. Yes.
7: Hi, Hamish Faulkner from the Foreign Office. I would be interested in the panelists. Uh, hello, Ambassador. I'd be interested <laughs> in the panelists' views on whether or not. Uh, given some of the political tensions within Afghanistan, the announcement recently of the alliance between Dostam Mohakek and uh, Dostam Atta, thank you, whether or not it's possible to make the kinds of reforms that the paper suggests in a context where it feels like politics is becoming more fragmented in Afghanistan.
1: Okay, We should save that one, let's take one last one to put into the mix. Uh, I think we had you were the next, yes, okay, we'll take four then.
7: Hello, I'm Leo Viermo. I work for Peace Directs. And so we have a partner in Afghanistan working on countering violent extremism. Mm. Um, so my question was maybe better for Fauzia Kufi to respond. On the civil society in Afghanistan, what voice and what impact can they have on the political discussion and on countering violent extremism? And how can we enhance our how can we promote civil society in Afghanistan
1: when you say this this is this new buzz uh, this new acronym CVE is for you is that Taliban or that's ISIS Daesh in Afghanistan who's violent extremists or is that warlords
7: it's a good question and the term CVE is very um, debatable as well Mm -hmm. Uh, it would be all forms yeah all forms all form of extremism but uh, yeah CVE is I know that many people mm. don't like to use that term. I am mm. just use it because it's the more like, most widely used one. Okay.
1: So. okay, I'll come back to you in a second. Uh, Fazio Kovi, let's, let's, um, let's bring you in here. question from Peace Direct. I mean Afghans don't have to be told about, uh, especially Afghan women about countering uh, violent extremism. Has the civil society developed in such a way that you feel that they are engaged in battling against this? Elizabeth Winter here as well in the front row, who's been working a lot with, you know, trying to strengthen civil society as well. Fauzia? Uh,
0: well, Liz, you know that uh, Afghan women have been in the front line of uh, of fighting uh, against uh, extremism of any kind, uh, and they have paid a price for it. In fact, uh, just next week, I think we will be, uh, from the parliament, uh, presenting a uh, um, a paper to the Peace Council uh, that will indicate um, how, what role we want to play in bringing peace, social peace especially, peace with justice, and also about, uh, you know, establishing a Women for Peace network all over Afghanistan, because I think it's important that we involve women and we involve women in peace process meaningfully, not just when the decisions are being made and you bring women on the table. We want to uh, engage more women peacefully and meaningfully and in a um, thorough discussion uh, in the process of peace. Uh, if Afghanistan is in progress, and if it's a country that is uh, progressing, um, that, uh, it's a country that is in, tran- uh, you know, in transition to democracy, I think women, young generation, and media, uh, uh, with civil society, they are the key driving factor for this uh, progress in Afghanistan. Uh, civil society is uh, relatively new in Afghanistan post Taliban. We had some movement of civil society. Well, Afghanistan has always witnessed civil society in different forms. We had, um, you know, councils, shuras uh, in the past, which was not, uh, you know, in a um, formatted civil society format. But we had civil movements in Afghanistan in the past. It was only post Taliban regime that civil society started active, uh, you know, being active. And I think they they have a voice. They are the, the first one to raise voice when there is a human rights or women's rights violation. Um, so I think the, uh, the future, actually, of Afghanistan is in the hand of uh, women and young generation of this country. Uh, and all the credit for all the progress in this country, I think, will go to, to the nation, to the people that have been so patiently experiencing and very resilient when it comes to uh, to, to violence of any kind, and women are in the front line of this. Not only from Taliban, yes, Taliban um, uh, women issue is a revenge for them. Uh, they want to always revenge on women issue because they see women progress in Afghanistan connected with international community presence. So they want to, in a way, always revenge women, But also from people who are sitting in the parliament. In 2013, when I presented the law on violence against women to be approved by, by parliamentarians, there were people who were sitting in the same parliament with me and opposed the law and w- 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 many articles, fundamental rights of women. They opposed. So we we have a, a long way ahead of us. It's just that the the priority of uh, our international friends have a little bit shifted now to more security and uh, you know the harder part of life, not the softer life of Afghans.
1: Thank you very much. Aswad, so I want you to pick up this very important point about political culture because um, that's something, of course, done by. Afghans, and including a lot of uh, involvement of civil society, about changing attitudes toward elections, political participation, what the rights of citizens, is that going to be part of the process as well?
2: Well, it certainly has to be. I think, you know, one of the good aspects of Afghan elections among several (laughs) bad ones has been relatively high rates of participation, considering all of the obstacles. Security-wise, Afghans have risked their lives again and again to vote. Uh, and in fact, the first round of the elections in 2014 um, was extremely high participation. So it shows that Afghans uh, rely on that as a means of political expression and are willing to use the process despite uh, a lot of disincentives. Um, so I think it's it's credit to the Afghans, the voters. And it's also a validation against some critics who say, well, so much fraud. I mean, is Afghanistan, quote, ready for democracy? I mean, that's, I think that's rubbish, and, and I think that uh, participation shows that, that it is. Um, moving forward, though, you know, there are many different ways to uh, address electoral problems. I think that the fundamental um, characteristics of an electoral system, two of the most important, are accountability, mm-hmm. having an accountability mechanism for voters and citizens and civil society groups as mobilizers of those bodies um, for elected officials at whatever level. And I think that that is sorely missing. Um, the other thing is predictability. Um, and this is where political parties play a role in many, you know, all successful self-functioning democracies have some kind of political party system, whether it's alternating between two or three or, or multiple. Um, but one of the reasons is so that people can, uh, candidates and their constituents can have a stake in the process, can have some confidence that if they lose this one, they can still win the next one. And that has yet to occur in Afghanistan. And so when you look at systemic reforms, um, without getting into the details of them, you need to think about what are the accountability mechanisms which are missing, um, and having better connection between constituents and elected officials. is one way to do that, but also in terms of political parties, how do you organize yourself so that you can have reforms connected to your chances of getting elected in the future? And right now, it's kind of uh, a free-for-all or every person for themselves, um, which is destabilizing.
1: And this, uh, this, as you make it so clear in the report, the winner-takes-all kind of system, which uh, is a disincentive. Right. Um, there's no rights for the losers, as you, you put it since you're an expert on dostan, do you want to take the question about it it 's a reminder that there are different there, there's certain old traditional ways of organizing in Afghanistan politically and for security reasons too
3: Well, I think the thing that 's important to to recognize is that um, uh, you know maybe to disagree with one thing that was said i mean afghanistan was was everything but a blank slate in yes. two thousand and one right I mean afghanistan is a is an ancient country with incredible traditions. Um, one of the things that I first grew to know and love about Afghanistan living outside of uh, of Kabul um, in Bamiyan province was how amazing and resilient Afghan communities were despite what was by that time already many years of war, let alone mm-hmm. what has happened now. And that there are a lot of mechanisms by which people do get along and move forward despite the challenges. And I want to acknowledge what Ambassador Jawad said because Nothing about what we're talking about um, is in any way meant to take away from, I think, the incredible gains that have been made by Afghans. And so many people have sacrificed Hmm. for that. Uh, Many people who are not Afghans, but principally Afghans. And it continues every day at alarming rates. Um, But I think that the other thing to acknowledge is that you have this... Because you have this incredible diversity in Afghanistan, because you have a lot of things that happen at the local level because they have to happen at the local level, um, it is a, it's hard to get around Afghanistan. <laughs> it's mountainous and desert. Um, people have had to come up with means of, of self-governance. Uh, they've had a pretty, good run, pretty bad run of, of central governance for the last couple of decades. If you're an Afghan, you don't necessarily look to the central government for good things. You hope that it doesn't bring bad things. And that's not to say that the central government hasn't brought great things, but that trust has to be built over time. And so weaving all of that together, that complex task tapestry that is Afghanistan, both socially and politically, to my mind, requires acknowledging what exists and embracing it and using it. So it doesn't mean turning over you know, the north to Dostum or Atta, but what it does mean is recognizing the fact that that the North has its political systems, that it needs representation, both at the local and at the national level. And if you don't have a system that accommodates that, you're going to lose, the system is going to fail. Uh, Because there's only two options, right? There's Singapore and Switzerland. You can either have some fantastic consolidating authority that can impose rule of law, despite what everybody else might say, or you have to find a way to share power in a radically diverse society. And I think Afghanistan is much more among the second. They have to find ways for people all over the country to be able to participate, to feel ownership, and that's not, I don't think, what the status quo is allowing for, and it's gonna continue ruptures if, we don't, if, if it's not addressed. Thank you.
1: Do we have another round of questions? Yeah. Here, these two here together, and then back here.
8: Sorry, mm-hmm. Steve Brooking from uh, United Nations Mission in Afghanistan. Um, you've talked about accommodation. Um, or conflicts are the two choices, Alex. Um, and yet we're now in a situation where, from this paper, it appears that though you think, and I don't disagree, that reconciliation with the Taliban is a long way away, um, every year 20,000 Afghans die in the conflict, Taliban, uh, National Defence Forces, and ordinary civilians. So we're talking, you know, 60,000 dead Afghans in the next few years if we're talking until 2019. So what is anybody doing about... Peace and reconciliation. Every party points at the other and says they don't have a plan. Um, so uh, everyone says there's no military solution, but the Americans and Afghan government in particular appear to be working on a military solution as to the Taliban. Nobody appears to have a plan for a peace process in the short term or reconciliation process. You can argue that politics and you know, the elections if you like and accommodation of some sort should be linked to a peace process but my view, my question in particular to Ambassador, <laughs> Representative mm-hmm. of the African Government and I don't know who represents American and peace, you know, you said. Um, yes. but <laughs> peace yeah. So, you know, what is the plan? Because there
5: doesn't appear to be one. Mm.
1: Do you want to take that first? Yeah. Yes, it's, a, it's, an, it's an important one.
5: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, no, that's a, that's a very important point actually and uh, um, peace uh, will be possible only if the one of the conflicting parties realize that they cannot win the war. They cannot win that, that, that conflict. So as long as there are sanctuaries for the groups outside, as long as there are financial resources, and, and they, as long as they can hope that they can win this war by force, uh, it will be hard to compel them to come and talk to us. And, uh, and that's why the big change that we see with the national unity government comparing to, to the previous administration in Afghanistan is that, in the previous administration, peace efforts were regarded as reaching out to certain elements of Taliban based on personal relations, tribal affiliations, and trying to kind of win over. But, uh, but, uh, but the, new, the, 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 the national unity government and, and, and President Ghani uh, position is that unless we reach out actually peace at the state to state level with Pakistan, it will be hard to reach out to certain elements in group in, 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 in Taliban and try to win them over. Of course, at the same time, the, the, the experience of Islami, Ikhmatiar, indicated that these kind of efforts should continue, and it could be very fruitful. But, but, but the, the plan now for, for the Afghan government is to focus on the regional uh, countries, too, who are either, either or indifferent to the conflict in Afghanistan, and they should not be, such as China and other or other countries who are fearful of other factors, real or illusionary, and, and therefore either tolerating, supporting, or or, or or assisting Taliban in any way. So the, the approach uh, for Afghanistan, both politically and economically, as indicated also, alluded in the report also, becoming more and more regional. And that will be also regional, economically, regional connectivity, politically, regional cooperation, will enable us actually to to reach peace and stability in Afghanistan more quicker. So the plan is specifically is it we're concerned, the big change is that we would rather have actually have the, 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 the regional countries, especially Pakistan, engage with us on that process.
1: Mm. I mean, so many people say that there is no military solution, that in the end, as you said, you know, all wars eventually end, there has to be a political solution. I'm sure this is a question that many here are, think about a lot, How much, just a show of hands. How many here in the audience think that there's a good chance within the next, let's say, the next three years, that there could be a process, a genuine process of talks with the Taliban? How many of you believe there will be? Oh. No. And how many don't? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this gentleman? Yeah.
9: Uh, hi, uh, my name is Wahid. Uh, I am an Afghan student. A, 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 a studying at at University College London. It is very great to see uh, a fantastic panel dis, uh, discussing Afghanistan.
1: What are you studying?
9: Uh, I'm doing uh, biomedical sciences.
1: Very good. <laughs> uh,
9: so uh, we have uh, uh, we have uh, we are we are seeing a a, a growing gap between the Afghan government and the people, especially uh, in the recent months and weeks, where. Uh, there was a protest, and the Afghan government uh, is claimed that to have opened fire on, on on protesters, which uh, which means it's sort of, you know, it, which is an uh, undermining of you know democracy in Afghanistan, and also uh, 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 I've noticed that uh, most of the uh, youth, and especially the new generation, they, it seems that they have lost hope and 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 faith in. A, in, in the government, so how can we ensure that uh, faith and hope, and the young democracy in Afghanistan uh, will be maintained and and further strengthened? And I've also got a uh, a comment on uh, reconciliation. It seems that since joining Masrurik Matiar uh, to the peace process, the the situation has gotten worse. I'm worried that if the Taliban join, the situation m- mm. might be or could be uh, further d- 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 deteriorated. And uh, it has been so many years that Afghan government tries to reach the Taliban and it has been so much. I think if we had uh, sort of in- invested the amount of resources in a meaningful way to, uh, to improve and, uh, the Afghan economy, or in any other resource, any other aspect mm. of you know af- of Afghanistan, such as empowering uh, women, or uh, creating uh, or or uh, building schools, and uh, you know investing on in- in infrastructures, that would have been more useful. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to give the ambassador a moment to 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 to, to think about that and this question here.
10: Good afternoon everyone. Uh, My name is Arzun Albahar. I'm an active member of Uprising for Change, uh, which uh, we lost 11 of our youth people called TAGS, TAGS by the government Ashraf Ghani. They were all master and bachelor degree young people who were uh, for the change, and who were against uh, this mafia regime of Ashraf Ghani Ahmadzai, who called the illegitimate brothers Taliban, who want to reconciliate with them, and who also brought Mr. Uh, Gulbuddin Hikmatyar, who is actually the main uh, warlord. I don't know who, uh, who else you think are the warlords in Afghanistan. He's the big, big, biggest warlord. He is the murderer of 70,000 people of Kabul, uh, and they're all doing the same job, which is killing and the population of people so that when the population starts to be counted, hmm. the majority will be the Pashtun people, which are, they have also brought it from the Waziristan and the okay. other side yes. of Pakistan. Please let me, yes. allow me. Your, your point is very important, but the, we're not My point have. is very important now. My question is. Today we are talking about freedom, democracy. Uh, Mr. F- uh, Ms. Fauzi Koufi is uh, uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, we think we are grateful to the West for bringing Internet. We also forget that the West has taken lots of our resources out of our country, the uranium, and gold, and, and emeralds, and, and uh, lapis lazulis and everything from, and, and the young people who have been dying here, coming, uh, you know, passing the, the rivers and the seas from Turkey and Greece and, and lo- losing their lives, and we are losing a big majority of resources, young people. They don't want to live in Afghanistan because uh, Mr. Mr. Ashraf Ahmad Ghani Ahmadzai is a traitor himself. Oh, he has okay. been deceiving you, people. You made a very strong... There is strong, no democracy yeah. in Afghanistan, and please allow me, because I live in the Please, allow me. I have lost 11 of my brothers. Uh, in, in the uprising, uprising for change, Rastakhiz and every day, people, my, the soldiers are being killed in Hillman, not by the, uh, not only by the Taliban, but also of the people who are inside the government, and also killed eleven. You made of our you're, tragic you're, your your point is very strong, but, but in, please, in, please in let us hospital. let us. We
1: need a response you, to your. No, but you. Thank I you for your point, point, and we appreciate both your anger and your passion and your commitment. I, 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 yes. I, 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 no. I, I, no. No. It's fine. Yes.
10: No, the there is, yes.
1: They have been By invited. Embassy,
10: has been no note on the
1: okay, mm-hmm. well, please. Thank you very much. I think we need a comment please. from both Fawzi and from, from, from for two young Afghans who want a sense that so, what something is to hope for, for a different. Fawzi Okofi, you're sitting in Afghanistan. You see these protests which continue on the streets of Kabul for change. What can you say to the two young Afghans here about the, that there's something, prospects of a better, a better, of some changes in Afghanistan for the better.
0: Hmm?
1: Okay.
10: Your passport is Afghan,
1: your passport. No, my passport is British. Yes, but I'm from
10: Afghanistan and
1: am Okay.
0: Thank okay. Uh, you. So this is not the first time that uh, Afghanistan has experienced uh, protest, and I think it demonstrates that instead of using weapon and gun, Uh, People uh, have other means of civilian uh, ways of asking for their rights and for presenting their demands. I think that's a sign of uh, progress in Afghanistan. When both men and women go to the streets to demand their rights peacefully, it means that there is more culture of democracy and tolerance in Afghanistan, and people have that space and freedom to present their problem. Now, um, yes, the protesters have been shot to death. And uh, there has been a committee, the parliament also was very serious. They took the issue serious, and there is a committee that is investigating. As a result, two uh, security officials were um, uh, removed from their posts. But I guess, as I mentioned in the beginning of my statement, um, you know, any reform within the government should actually go uh, aligned with the demand and and, uh, requirement and the needs of people. Because right now, I think President is presenting few issues um, as reform process, which uh, people see it not as part of reform, but as part of his own agenda, you know, trying to expose on the people. On the peace, if I may, at on the peace, because I'm a woman who have lived in Afghanistan all my life, and I think women of Afghanistan are the main victims of war, and we don't want to see them the victims of peace, certainly uh um so when it comes to the peace uh we all agree that the outcome of any peace should be uh, should should be peace mm-hmm. means people have a life uh without f- fighting and enjoy the basic freedom of, as a human being um we welcome the fact that Ikmatyar joined the process of peace but i see very little income uh output when it comes to the security in the field we you know re- we have been hearing reports about fighting in places where there was not traditionally fighting so that's worrisome and therefore i think instead of uh, uh wasting a lot of resources on bringing few individuals to the to to the power uh, which will in fact uh, create more atmosphere of mistrust i think we have to put more pressure on the countries that actually sponsor terrorists mm. we have to put more pressure um, you know, on the state sponsor uh, terrorists, on the state that that support terrorists. And with Alex, on, um, maybe I don't have this chance again to talk. Alex, you are very right. In Afghanistan, the culture of political, uh, political removal or political marginalization of certain groups never actually works. The time that we go to the, you know, to a situation where you marginalize certain people from power, um, you basically, uh, you know, try to... Uh, avoid the problem, not to solve them. So it's the time that we solve the problem instead of avoiding the problem by including uh, people who are actually actors, players in Afghanistan, into the power and the process.
1: Thank you very much, Rosie. Would you like to? Um, this is, you know, obviously part of the broader discussion of Afghanistan going forward. But I think would you like to just make a, two two comments?
5: Uh, no. Yes. Uh, well, uh, as, as far as the death of the young man. It's a tragedy or many other young men that are dying in Afghanistan. It is their constitutional right, and it it's the duty of the Afghan government to ensure that they have their right to exercise it peacefully, and if their mistake has been made by the Afghan security forces or other of killing them, this, is, this, is, this should be either uh, uh, punished, or at least the capacity should be improved. That's, that's one thing. There's their right. And, and I think you and I are, are Afghan, you too. We should not lose hope for Afghanistan. Who is going to build this country if you and I all give up on that? This is our home. So what do we mean when we well, say we are losing hope for Afghanistan? That's the only home that we have. That's the only identity we have. We, we cannot actually look in the world and it says we are losing hope for the country. I don't think uh, a money, yes, there are challenges. It's a difficult life. It's a struggle. It's a continued struggle in Afghanistan. But I see actually a large degree of determination. Even actually the, 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 the person who has gone on the street actually for, to, for his political right and got killed. He, he made a point. The fact it's a tragedy that he got killed. And, and the political system in Afghanistan would accommodate him to, do, to, 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 to express his right. And the same thing when, when, when you mention about and other, again, it's part of the political system. They have a different opinion. We realize it's, it's a diverse country. So in, a, in the long run, their, their ideas, their opinion, their suggestions should be accommodated. in in, in Afghanistan. The the country should be in continuous change. We have to, we should not have a a, a model, a static model of of how we want to run Afghanistan. But yet, we should not overreact and change everything completely.
1: Thank you.
7: Thank you very much, Uh, Teddy Nicholson, DFID. Um, and just starting with something Scott said earlier, you said quite near the beginning that at this point, um, what may turn out to be a bad election is, um, would be worse than uh, having no election at all. I suppose given some of the comments today, given what you said yourself, um, that uh, there's enormous energy, enormously high degrees of participation the last time Afghanistan had an election... How, how realistic a suggestion is that? What are the actual implications of saying we should not have the next parliamentary elections in Afghanistan? Um, and I'd also be very interested in Fazio Kofi's views on that as well, as a parliamentarian yourself.
1: I respond. We're running, I think we have about five minutes. I know you have another engagement, Mr. John. Yeah. So uh, we were going to, and I don't know how long people want to stay, and how, how, what's your time for departure? No, I, I can't. Okay, deal. okay. Um, do
2: you want to just answer, Shall I answer that? Yeah. yeah. Good question, and, and to be clear, uh, I should have been more precise with my language. It's delay the elections, and I think the next date, because 2019, uh, really must happen for presidential, it would be to push the parliamentary elections and potentially district council to that time. So I'm not talking about indefinite cancellation, of course. Um, I mean, I think it is realistic, and, and as I said before, it may become inevitable depending on how voter registration plays out. Um, you know, there was an agreement recently to have international community fund a new voter registration process, which would involve uh, biometric technology. Um, this could be a, a game changer in terms of reducing fraud, uh, but it also has serious political implications as far as who fundamentally has access to the ballot. Uh, it will reveal where uh, the election commission can actually reach voters uh, to register them and what the real security situation is from that perspective. So my point is that uh, that process should be emphasized, it should be urgent, it should be well resourced, but we don't know the outcome of it. And it could produce uh, information about access, uh, about uh, or politically controversial issues on population and where they live that you should take the time to settle rather than Uh, rushing forward to an election date which is well overdue, Mm -hmm. Um, but if you force the issue, uh, you could produce a bad election that undermines the credibility of the process in the election commission before the more important event uh, in 2019.
1: Because there was discussion in Afghanistan that Afghans were losing hope in the election process. Frances will remember the euphoria of 2004 when Afghans came out and somehow some after you know, Afghans will know that better than us, that they said, well, what's the point of these elections? You know, that they they make it worse for us. So, there's a risk sometimes in a bad election.
4: Hmm?
1: No, I don't hmm. Yeah, I agree. going to take a few more questions. The gentleman in the front row and then two in the back. And then this
11: gentleman here. Hi, I'm Hamid. I'm a researcher associate at Chatham House. Uh, forgive me, I haven't had the opportunity to look at your uh, report in detail, but um, I can't see anything being recommended to the international community in uh, your report. So where do you see the role of the international stakeholders uh, when we do have these kinds of political uh, processes facing Afghanistan in the next few years? I mean, I had the privilege of being based in Afghanistan between 2014 and 15, and I, I can assure you, as, as most of us would know, there's a lot of traffic between various embassies and uh, the, 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 the political uh, stakeholders, the Afghans. So, Internationals do have a leverage and they will play a role so I think we need to be very careful as to Put all of this on the Afghans and maybe we should be a little bit uh, More open about what we see the, uh, the internationals can do to hopefully uh, promote some positive outcome there.
1: Thank you. Okay, and this gentleman in the back with the lovely hat
12: hi my name is Wasiq I'm an artist so and involved uh, in politics of Afghanistan since I come from Afghanistan like uh, the sister here said Afghan word Afghan uh, maybe you do know it but you don't want to say it but since I am from the country I know I have been in there I have I was born in war and still the war is going on I better tell that Afghan is just a tribe within Afghanistan not all Afghans or Afghans. When we are talking about Afghans, we are talking about Pashtuns. Okay, and second thing, uh, from uh, 2001, the entire world had pumped a lot of money, and uh, especially to know how many people are living in that country, and still we don't know how many people are living. Why? Because Pashtuns don't want that. and everything about the country that you hear, you have read, is just one-sided story. You are looking at perspective from the perspective of a Pashtun or Afghan, not entire region.
1: Well, to be fair to the office of the report, I think they, they do try to look at Afghans right across the country with their different... Um, mm. their different origins, their different identities, exactly. their different interests. So I think, uh, not fair. everyone is Afghan.
12: Yes. Second thing about uh, the gentleman said about Northern Alliance, we don't have such a thing. It is United Front. And okay. I don't know where this word comes from. Mostly it comes from ISI, Pakistan, which has been mm. actually promoting their own thoughts into the West for the past years.
1: Thank you very much, Wesley. It's very nice of you, Afghan artists, to come and join the discussions today. Great hat. Yeah, thank you very yeah, much. I'm not Afghan. I told you I'm, I'm, very point. a moment ago. Yes. I'm Tajik from Afghanistan. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Tajik, yeah. sorry. Sorry, sorry. I'm not okay. Pashtun. Thank you. Uh, yes, it's yeah, very I'm good. From he i proud yes. of it too That's, as well, yeah. but I'm not Pashtun. Thank you. Thank you very much. The gentleman right next behind you, with the... Yes, the gentleman in the corner.
3: Uh, Stuart Britton, Health Prom. Uh, working in Balkh. Uh, this is a question for Fawzi Kufi and Ambassador Jawad. Thank you very much for very interesting talks. Um, we've been hearing how uh, how much Afghanistan has changed, how much the government and, uh, and administration have changed, but how much have the Taliban changed? We also hear something about that, and I'd be very interested to hear your views.
1: Okay, thank you. We'll just take one more here since you're seeing him.
13: Robert Grant from Wilton Park. Um, I wanted to come back to the question on the um, on the peace process, or a potential peace process. Um, it seems like um, you know there's a widespread view that if Pakistan would uh, obviously inside Afghanistan, but elsewhere as well, that if Pakistan would seize its uh, support for the Taliban, um, everything would would just fall into place at that point and. Um, so insurgent groups tend not to come to a negotiating table if they think they can win militarily, but uh, they'll it's also unlikely to have a successful peace agreement if the insurgent group doesn't think that it's going to have something to to gain out of that agreement that it that it can't get, that it doesn't have it for the time being. and so um, following up on that, um, we've seen in many conflicts around the world that um, talks, talking while fighting has gone on for, tended to go on for many years, in some cases, even decades. And obviously, you know, there have been different kinds of contacts that, that you've mentioned uh, with the Taliban uh, uh, over the years. Um, do you see any any role for continued talks, formal, informal, secret, public, um, to that could potentially help lay... A foundation even Mm. years in the future for a peace agreement that you know the conditions for which don't exist at the moment but uh, again help help to lay those foundations to to try and you know develop understandings Mm. that could come together uh, at some point in the future
1: the back channel talks. Yeah, Afghans back are always talking, aren't they? I mean, they probably back are. Back channel. I
5: mean, yeah, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah There probably I, are. Again, lots of
1: talking going on in lots of places. Yeah, yes, but thank yeah. you for that point. Yes, it's been important. Do you want to start with that one, Mr. Joyce? Yes, uh,
5: absolutely. There's again, uh, I was ambassador to Colombia and and involved in actually some of the peace and reconciliation effort by President Uribe. So. Of course, again, a difficult process, a difficult opinion in, inside the government about how to approach it and how to implement it. But there is no substitute for talk. And again, this talk in different level, being formal, being on track two, track one and a half, whatever format does it take, should continue. And at the end of the day, uh, and just also relates to the question of have the Taliban have changed, just uh, just alluding a little bit. It, Taliban are not a monolithic movement. Uh, we have actually some very... Lethal elements to it, like the iconic group. we have other groups. So, and, and again, trying to continue to reach out to certain elements who may feel actually age-wise or otherwise, they've been fighting also for a long time. And, and there are other elements in the, in, the, in the arena that are adding to the complications, such as ISIS and other. So all of these, despite the complication, provide an opportunity for us to, to continue to engage. This, this kind of engagement continues, and, and honestly, in Afghanistan, this kind of engagement started in Afghanistan almost in 2004 in some form of it was not formalized and didn't have much of the support of the rest of the world. But now everyone uh, outside Afghanistan is, is thinking that this is the most practical, the, the most cost-effective way of ending the conflict in Afghanistan. And, and, and the, the Afghan government is committed to continue these, these kind of contacts and talks.
1: Do you think and do you think the Taliban have changed? Do you think they said the Taliban of today is not the Taliban of, of when well, it was in power?
5: Age-wise, they have changed. They have <laughs> they have realized actually that the ideology that 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 they stand for, the type of government that they has no has no uh, ground in Afghanistan. There's no one is really nostalgic about the rule of the Taliban in Afghanistan. So nationally, if they want to be a relevant. Political power—they're going to be changing. They're going to be changing their approach. They're going to be changing their recruiting methods. They're going to be uh, refining their message. That's normal because they are, uh, in addition to being a, a, a fighting force, but they are also a political movement.
1: And also, they're more divided now. There's no one ideology. There's more hardline ones, more, more pragmatic ones, and
5: not only that, but also the resources that they receive for their funding it also diversified. So they have that, that creates also different kind of connection and. In relations not only in the region but also to, to criminal elements, to narcotics, and many others. So that's, it's, a, it's a complicated picture of when you see to that, to the what is called as the Taliban. It's not a monolithic movement led by one person.
1: Francesca, hmm. I wonder whether on the comment of what you've seen from your sense of experience, you know, be part of the international community in Afghanistan, where outsiders can help and where actually their help is not needed and actually can be counterproductive. Looking forward, where would you think the judge well, should should help? I, mean,
4: I, I think by now, to, uh, 16 years after 9-11, I think, of course, the Afghans must uh, must decide for themselves. Mm. Uh, I think we made this, uh, we have to be a little careful when we say, as we used to say, "to it should be Afghan-led. Now, the question always was what whom were the Afghans. Uh, of course, it must be led by Afghans and by the Afghan people. Mm. It should not be led by uh, self-promoters and particularly by people with guns. And I have to say, uh, if I uh, to take a little issue about the deal with Hermatia. Um One thing is to talk and reach an agreement with a serious fighting force which you have no other option but to uh, eventually sit down and negotiate. I personally think that Hadmatia, who I think I would agree with whoever called him an assassin, he is an assassin, uh, and notorious for never keeping his word. But I, don't, I think that one has uh, reached an agreement with someone who was at most a security nuisance and have brought him to the center of the stage uh, in Kabul. Thank you.
1: Um, Fauzi, I have some questions to you. There was some, some interventions from the floor um, of people who are angry with the way the evolution of the situation in Afghanistan, feeling that it's a, an unjust situation, one which favors uh, one ethnic group over another. Did you want to make a comment on how you, you see it now that you're a parliamentarian and trying to work from within?
0: I think uh, the comments from the floor, uh, the floor, very much relate to uh, the statement that I made uh, in the beginning of uh, my talks was about uh, the power, uh, you know, the, the lack of power proper or appropriate uh, power sharing, um, especially when it comes to the inclusion of different sides. Uh, I think that was the main, uh, the main uh, reason for establishment of national unity government, which now is losing its way when it comes to sharing of power. But there was one more question also um, about uh, Daesh and uh, the, the peace process. Daesh is a very complicated uh, phenomenon in Afghanistan. Um, uh, they are in uh, east, east, east part of Afghanistan, but also they are in, in north um, and northeast. They are also, some of them are in my country, unfortunately, in my province, and unfortunately, my country as a whole, but in my constituents, basically. Uh, in east, um, uh, they have a different route. Uh, the route is basically opposing Taliban. But in in north, uh, you see some of these elements of Taliban that are not happy with Taliban anymore. They uh, they shift the color of their flag from white, which was the color of Taliban flag, to black. So it's very complicated. And uh, um, we must, um, you know, admire our troops uh, fighting for uh, you know against Taliban Daesh. Uh, they had gains. Uh, there were talks post uh, 2014 uh, Afghanistan might collapse uh, when it, uh, when the withdrawal happened, but our uh, very brave security forces proved that they resist. But let me also make it clear that uh, our security forces um, are not fighting against Daesh or Taliban just to keep the two leaders. They're very unhappy about the policy of our leaders. They're fighting to keep the state stable. So there is a distinction. There is a differentiation between, you know, how the public and the security forces relationship is, which is very good. But when it comes to our two leaders, um, they're not very popular. I mean, the president is certainly not very popular among our security force, uh, forces. So the fact that our security forces are fighting is not to keep the power of the two leaders. There is a misunderstanding. And I know that they, the the U.S. will bring more troops, which people see that as a signal of uh, more attention and more support for Afghanistan. Uh, But I hope in the meantime that those troops will not be used against people or the international community support for Afghanistan will not be used or should not be used by the leaders against the people of Afghanistan. You know, I'm one of those who have been advocating for uh, more troops and support for Afghanistan because as a woman, I don't want to go back to 2001 and 1999. But in the meantime, I don't want to live in a situation. And many other Afghans, we don't want to live in a situation where, you know, the, uh, the gun, the machine gun. Uh, uh, that should actually target a talib. should target citizens. That's a fundamental issue. The citizens' rights to be protected, and the power sharing should be fairly fairly distributed among uh, people who uh, are—I know that there are many problems. We don't have strong political parties, uh, even both leaders, people who are around them. They don't share the same values. They don't share the same ideology. There are extremists around a president. There are extremists against, uh, around the uh, um, uh, chief executive officer, Dr. Abdullah. But in the meantime, that's the reality of Afghanistan. We have to live with the reality. The reality is that if we don't include, uh, you know, there might be a potential security risk that uh, uh, you put it with Taleb and Daesh uh, challenge, uh, then I think our forces will not be able to challenge all of these questions or at least. You know, defeat all of these issues uh, that they, they might face.
1: Thank you very much. We're going to take one last question just because it was a young gentleman. Mm-hmm. You better be a good question. <laughs> <laughs>
14: uh, <coughs> I yeah. uh, hi. When we talk about Taliban, yeah, uh, my name is Hamina, I'm from Afghanistan. When we talk about Taliban, we didn't mention where they get their <coughs> military and financial support. Just we mentioned it like they have been sent by God. Mm-hmm. So, so what I want to say is that Hillary Clinton in an interview with CNN explicitly admitted that we created Taliban with cooperation uh, with ISIL of Pakistan. So we can very clearly say that they were created by <coughs> the U.S. So now my question is, uh, was that a, a failure of a policy? or was that a deliberate plan to come to Afghanistan?
7: Mm.
14: Yeah,
1: yeah. I think if, I don't, I'm not sure what Hillary Clinton mm. she <laughs> may have meant that because it, it was, uh, it goes back to the days when the United States and the Saudis and working with the ISI. She
14: uh, said that we created them uh, in um, cooperation with ISI of Pakistan. Mm. And we have evidence that the uh, American soldiers gave them weapons Ooh, and dear. they have been transferred from one side to another side in helicopters.
1: So, hmm. can't be clear that it really Americans want too. <laughs> 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 okay, yeah. I don't know. I think it's hard to, There's so many origins, but where whether the Taliban grew out of the madrasas of of Pakistan, whether they were created by the ISI, whether it was an organic movement. There's been many discussions about the origins of the, the but your, your point's, were you, it's okay, we'll, we'll keep your, you made your point. Did you want to make say anything to a young Afghan who's got a, no. I think everyone's got their own view on the origins of the Taliban and maybe it will suffice it to say that they're.
14: Politicians, they just make stories that some young people, they follow them, they support these uh, terrorist groups, they <laughs> kill innocent people, so mm. the politicians, did not make it clear to us
1: well, I, I think it's fair to say that now uh, we find ourselves in a time where, I mean, the, the Taliban, as you know, part of the people of Afghanistan, you know, they will be part of a po- eventual political settlement. Those who want to come to the table and accept the laws of Afghanistan, be part of the constitution of Afghanistan. I think that's generally the uh, the hope in in Afghanistan. So let us let us hope the the people of Afghanistan find find a way forward. Do you want to have one last word from either of you, since this?
11: Yeah.
1: Yes. Well, that was a different historical period in Afghanistan, and yes, yeah. yes, course, about the origins, I think, Yes,
3: yes. Yes, I think, well, the origins are very tangled. The, 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 the yes. Yes. Debate after the event, the, event yes, as well. Yes, reception uh, where we can
1: discuss all of these issues. Um, the, the,
3: the Yeah, the the thing that that I would say um, to kind of go back to where Scott started is that I think that there's a sense that after all of this time and investment, we have come to a point where there's been incredible gains, but there is also a sense of, of stagnation and some deterioration that is happening with the security situation. And I think everybody who cares about Afghanistan wants to see what it is that's going to inspire both Afghanistan's leaders to do better, uh, but also something that's going to bring all of the energy of the Afghan people into solving their problems instead of creating discord. I think there's no question that the vast majority of Afghans would prefer there to be peace. Uh, Many Afghans, probably at this point a majority of Afghans, have only seen war. Um, and that's, that's unacceptable. Um, but that solution, that set of solutions, is going to be Afghan supported by the international community, but it's going to have to be Afghan. And I think the, our purpose in, in writing this report um, was to say that if there's going to be progress, there's going to have to be a jolt to the political system. What has happened for the last couple of years of infighting, a sense of deterioration, that has to be turned around. And we can't wait for a grand political bargain with the Taliban to make that happen, because it may be in the offing, it may not be, but to sit around and hoping hope that it's going to be the solution, I think, would be a tragedy for the country, potentially. And so it is re- actually up to Afghans, all the way from the president and the CEO down to people throughout the provinces, to figure out how to build. To, to breathe a, a spark back into the political system in the next couple of years that's going to reverse that sense of decline, that's going to include more people and therefore create the long-term conditions for peace.
2: Mm.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to bring an end to our formal gathering, but there is a reception outside so the mm-hmm. conversation can continue. And I think, speaking for all of the panelists, I think we will take this as the fact that the... Afghans and non-Afghans and people from, the people of Afghanistan who came out today, that it's an an affirmation that um, all of us still want to see Afghans build upon the successes of the past, but also do so in a way that Afghanistan has a real chance of, of moving forward. And I think that's something that all of us can agree. And I think we should salute the efforts of USIP working with ODI to try to tackle some of the issues that Afghans will want to we'll want to to face in terms of a challenge uh, going forward uh, politically. So thank you very much to all of you for coming out. Thank you to all of our panelists. Thank you, Fauzia Kofi, for being with us for so long on a line from Afghanistan. Thank you for your contributions. May you and your colleagues uh, go well, and we all hope to see you in in Kabul, Samnori, Barakshan, one day soon. Thank you very much.